Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first-team contracts. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of Seattle Sounders. You know who he is. Brian... How are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder Heart Podcast. I'm Jeremiah Shan. Joining me today is... It's Tim Foss. And that's it. Just the two of us. Uh, we... It was actually a pretty active week, pretty busy week in the offseason. Maybe this might end up being like one of the busiest weeks of the offseason, uh, weirdly enough. Uh, the big thing that happened this week was the annual business meeting where you've probably heard uh, Garth Bloggerway was retained with 90% of the vote. Only 31.7% of people voted, though. So it actually wasn't even a... Um, it was not a what's the what do they call a binding? No. Yeah, it was a non-binding. Non-binding. There we go. Yeah, they needed to get forty percent for it to be binding. But I don't know. I I had this debate. We may as well start here. We'll talk about. Well, we'll also talk about the apples and details of the Apple deal came out officially. Just some other things that happened. Uh, Austin took Alfonso Campo Chavez in the waiver draft. Sanders didn't lose anyone in the expansion draft. But let's we'll we'll talk about that. But let's 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 zero in on the uh, first the annual business meeting, the annual business meeting in general. But first, the whole Garth Logway GM vote thing, as what happens every year when or every year it's only happened three times uh, in the in the three previous in all three elections, people come out and they say something to the effect of, "Why are we bothering doing this? Of course, he's going to be retained." This is all a this is all just a navel gazing opportunity for us to say, look how good we are doing this democracy in sports, but it's meaningless. They wouldn't abide by the vote anyway. No one wants to vote in this thing. All of these complaints. Where do you call on, fall on this, Tim? I tweeted something that was sort of, you know, after the results came out, that was along the lines of. I think that it's good and it's cool and I don't think it goes away, but I think there, there needs to be some effort towards, you know, increasing the involvement or the participation levels. Um, Someone responded to my tweet saying that, you know, maybe when the stakes are higher, the, voter turnout will be better or you know when they're not voting on arguably the best gm in the league that yeah will be better but i i think that's a fair point that you know there's a degree of like if not voting means that he just gets retained beyond like giving him a pat on the back what good is it going to do me to vote if he should be retained. I think that makes some sense, but I, 
I think until you can get people involved, it is just kind of a, a self-congratulatory exercise. Um, but I, I don't think that makes it bad or wrong. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess it can be both things, right? On one hand, like when right now, and then I would even argue in all three of the votes, the situation was such that you would be crazy to vote uh, not to retain, right? Or no confidence, I think, is technically how the vote goes. Yeah. And and so, and, and I think that's sort of a testament, testament to how well the Sounders are run. And I suppose there's a certain irony in the one team that has this written into their bylaws, which as I understand it, are legally binding constitute, like they have a link, there's, like I got into a debate with someone on Twitter about whether or not this was actually a legally binding document, because at one point it says the Sounders have the sole authority to, you know, retain or terminate the contract. I think that just means it's their response. It's only their responsibility. Like it's not like it basically is absolving the Alliance Council of any uh, legal responsibility. Like they, it's not their fault, but, but the, my understanding is the vote is binding. It also says in in the same constitution that if you know the uh, the the GM fails to get a certain threshold, I think it's that if they are voted out by a super majority, right? It's uh, six, or maybe it's just sixty percent um, would have to vote them out, and forty percent of voters would have to cast a ballot. Uh, they they do have to be removed. I mean that's that's the language in the in the thing, and and luckily we've never tested this. But I, I don't think we have to look too hard to imagine a scenario where the, the ownership wants to keep the GM who the fans desperately want to get rid of. I mean, you look at what's going, what happened in Portland, and I think that's a perfect example of a situation where if left to his own devices, uh, they would have kept Gavin Wilkinson for seemingly ever. And I think you could argue that Sure, it finally got to a point where uh, where Merritt Paulson felt like he had to remove Gavin Wilkinson. But, you know, Timbers fans have been dissatisfied with the work that he's been doing for years. And you can easily imagine a scenario where someone like that gets voted out, where it's not so cut and dry that, like, clearly he's the best GM in the league. And so I, I guess I bring that up because I think it's one of those it's one of those things where it doesn't feel important until it's really, really important. And then all of a sudden... You're so glad you had it. Yeah, it exists for the worst case scenarios or not even worst case, but like a bad case scenario where right. um, even if it is, you know, not to the extent of Portland and their whole situation there. But if it was like a, you know, if ownership of the Sounders changed and was not the people that it is now and there was a like a cultural mismatch of the identity of the Sounders fans and community that right they had brought in a GM that was relatively successful, but I don't know, like made comments that were right. Yeah, like the, you, it's not hard to imagine. Like, right. Yes. Totally. Yeah, I th- I think it would be great to get better voter turnout or involvement it now just so that there is a little bit more confidence in the process when those higher stakes things come up but again for for the time being 
this moment is not really what the GM vote exists for. It is for those circumstances where action needs to be taken. So I think. It- yeah. And, and I think there's also a counterfactual that exists that we can't prove, but I think you can argue that part of what keeps ownership honest uh, is just the existence of this vote. Like they know that if that things can only get so bad before fans and and it doesn't have to be every four years uh, there is a there is a recall ability uh so theoretically if things got got really bad you know let's just say the sounders miss the playoffs again next year and garth signs a four-year contract i don't think there's anything that stops them from at the end of the year calling for a recall and it going through this whole process not to say that that's going to happen but like it's within the, the realm of possibility and i and I say this all just because I, I do think it's easy to discount the value of this thing while it feels unnecessary, but the, it's just a reminder that it exists not for your mundane every day. Like it's not supposed to be exercised every four years. You're not supposed to want to vote out your GM every time it comes up for a vote. And it's, and it's a good thing that we don't want to vote out our GM, but just because, and it, it, but it's also sort of this reminder that like, you shouldn't vote them out just because you can. Uh, right. And I think uh, Sounders fans have taken this seriously. And, um, you know, 90% of people voted to retain. You can certainly quibble. Uh, you, I'd love to talk to those 10% who wanted to get rid of him. But, you know, uh, there's, you know, and, and I think and there's, and there's certainly flaws in this system. Uh, as many have pointed out, the Sounders fans don't get to choose the replacement. Uh and, you know, that certainly I, I suppose, I don't know. I don't know that that's really a flaw. I wouldn't want that room. I wouldn't want that responsibility to have to actually hire the replacement. And, uh, but, you know, it, it was, it was, it was a good, I think it's good to go through this process. I, like you said, it was a little disappointing to see only 32% or so voted, but, you know, when it doesn't feel like the stakes are high, it's easy not, not to vote, frankly. Yeah. I, I think it's probably best that the, Sounders season ticket holders have the power to vote a GM out, but not the power to choose the next GM based on, I don't know, we've all seen some outrageous opinions about players and signings on Twitter. We've seen how fan votes for, you know, whether it's a scarf or a jersey or a team's new crest can turn out. Like it's best to make those decisions to professionals, um, in my opinion. But well, I don't know if you meant it this way, but that's a good transition to another topic that came up at the at the annual business meeting, which is the March to the 50th, which I suppose I was surprised how many people seemingly forget about this every few months. Like it it, it comes up like, oh, the Sounders are thinking about redesigning their crest. Why have I not heard of this? And I don't have a good answer for them because we've ex- reported on it pretty extensively. Oh, I think we've even covered it. We for sure covered it on this podcast. Uh but yeah, they they sort of gave their first big update on that. Do you? I don't know. Do you, are you interested in in sharing sort of what your takeaways from from that were? Yeah, I you know first I think, in fairness to people, it's been a pretty big busy year since I sure, think the yes. announcement was made that they were going to overhaul or overhaul is maybe overstating it, but refresh the the visual brand of the yeah, I think the uh, way that they're saying it is they ex- they're doing a exploration of their visual identity. Yeah. <laughs> With um, an open mind of maybe overhauling it or maybe not changing it at all. But go ahead. 
Yeah, I I think, you know, the the results that came out are really not surprising. Um, It seemed like the vast majority of the people who participated in the surveys um, were people who predominantly came to Sounders fandom during the MLS era of the Sounders or the bulk of that time was during that era. So unsurprisingly, the colors and the crest are going to be strongly associated with the Sounders for people. And as a result, the, you know, the non-negotiables basically for any refresh of the branding is the name is gonna stay the same. The colors are gonna stay the same. The Space Noodle is still gonna be a prominent feature in the any new crest that they do. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, I I think that's probably the right call. I think we will probably get a cool new look when it's all said and done. Um, it you know, I think personally, it might not be the one that I would choose if I got to dream it up. But again, that's not my job. I. Right. I, I don't design crests for a living or, uh, you know, or, or, or manages a brand like, and I, and I thought it was, I really liked this process. I, I think that they're going about it in a responsible way. They, they apparently got something like 10,000 responses to this survey that they put out. Uh, they actually went out and recruited about 1500 of those responses from the Seattle community at large, uh, you know, I think only about half of those people called themselves Sounders fans. And so I think they made a real effort to sort of like bring in the visual. They wanted to do right by the Seattle community and to make this a Seattle centric brand and not just with Sounders fans in mind. And I thought that that was an interesting approach. I, I think it will. I'll be curious to see how it ultimately influences the final result. Uh but like you said, they, they gave us some hints. I think they, they gave us an idea of where this is going. I think people will be probably relieved to know that the new crest sounds like it will be recognizable to the old crest. It, like, I personally have fallen in love with some of the complete reimagined uh, crests. Uh, our Jasmine Wu, who actually was uh, doing the visual branding for YachtCon uh, Rip, uh, <laughs> uh did an amazing crest that was sort of an oval shape or and and was a complete departure from the the current uh branding that the sounders had and i thought it would be really exciting to go with something like that and but at the same time if i was actually in charge of like managing the sounders brand i would be i would also be really reluctant to like just start over again because it has been i mean that's something to keep in mind whether i think the crest is not good at all like i find a lot of design flaws with it i don't find it particularly appealing uh but i also can appreciate that people uh, responded to it very positively they have positive associations with it and the space needle no matter what we i may think is clearly a an icon that says unequivocally Seattle. And I think those are important things. And, and I, and clearly Sounders fans like that. 
Yeah, I have really positive associations with lots of things that are objectively not good. Um, I would be disappointed if those things just like disappeared or suddenly got changed into a objectively better version of the thing that is not the version that I love. Um, I, you know, I think your point about the process is good. The approach they're taking is one that it is hard to find fault in. Um, I, I think, you know, we both are pretty vocal critics of the current crest and I openly dislike the colors that we use for the most part. Um, but I think that the outcome is going to be good. I will probably like it better than what we currently have. And, you know, the, it's almost certainly not going to be cookie cutter. We're not going to get another circle crest in the league. I hope not. Fingers crossed. I, I, I feel like that. I feel like they're, they under, like, I think they appreciate that. Right. Like that was, yeah. uh, but yeah, the, and like the, they also said that you, I don't know if we mentioned this, but they said the colors weren't going to change. Uh, but to their credit, they've also shown a lot of uh, openness to using different colors that aren't literally in their current palette. And I think the other thing that they really, they really wanted to get out of this was to have more, uh, to have a crest that lends itself to modification in other marks. And so we might get full-blown second, third, fourth crests that are used on other things, but still feel related to the current crest. And that's one of their ongoing frustrations is that the current crest is not really uh, built to be uh, to be deconstructed and, and reused in other ways. And, and they've come up with ways to sort of do that, uh, but it's really just a word mark. And, uh, and then that's, that's like, that's like really almost the only secondary aspect of this is the word mark and, and, you know, modern designs uh, tend to be a lot more flexible than that. I know that they are big fans of LAFC's branding. I know they're big fans of the Kraken's branding. You know, you can kind of go down the list and I mean, and, you know, I don't know if they'll publicly want to admit this, but I think they're actually really impressed also, even with like the Timbers branding who I, I have to admit have a very simple and uh, an easily exportable crest now, which itself has gone through several iterations that I don't even know if people have completely appreciated how many times the, the Timbers have altered their crests even since joining MLS. Uh, in fact, they the one they rolled out at the beginning would never even made it on, never made it to being, uh, I think, on any other gear, which is kind of a, a funny little story in itself. Uh, but... It'll be, you know, I, I don't think we're going to see an end product on this thing for at least a few more months, although it does sound like something exists, like they aren't ready to unveil it, but it sounds like it is sort of like it's getting close to baked. And the other element of this that I'll, I'll, I, I think I like is that they took a lot of feedback from the beginning, the beginning, they did a lot of focus grouping, they did a lot of, you know, questions and they, and then they gathered all that information and then they passed it off to like professionals, like real professionals that know how to do this stuff. And it's not like it's all, it's not going to turn into a Homer Simpson's car uh, where it's just like a bunch of cooks uh, turning in, you know, where they, you have almost too much input. And I think my, I'm pretty confident that what they're going to end up with is they took the, 
the spirit of what the feedback they got was, and then they're going to turn out a, a like a professional product from them. Not yeah. let us vote on everything, essentially. I'm really excited to see what it is that they come up with because they, you know, they have good people working on it. They're smart and they're good at their jobs and they're people who care about the sounders and we're not just going to get some random thing developed by a firm for whatever right. team plays here. It's going to be for the sounders. Right. I think, and that's another thing that I think is important to note is that so many of the other uh, crest redesigns around MLS were sort of like taken to a lab and, and they just kind of, they put in whatever inputs they put in and then they got spit something out. And there wasn't a lot of community input. There wasn't a lot of, it was sort of like some designer's idea of what they wanted to do. And weirdly, one of the people who has worked on this went through this process, uh, Kyle Sheldon, who used to work for the Sounders, he left the Sounders uh, and he most recently was at the Chicago Fire. And he was with the Chicago Fire when they rolled out their first redesigned crest. It was panned immediately and mercilessly and it was garbage. And and he, I don't know what role he played in this, but to their credit, they basically pulled it back and they started over from scratch and they did a process that is not so dissimilar from what the Sounders are going through now. And now, and then, and then when they, they ended up on their second try, I think is is really good. And it embraces sort of like their their history and it, and it, and it but it still is modern and it drives the brand forward. And I think he learned a lot from that process. I know he wasn't involved in the uh, original, like the rejected crest from the beginning. And I think that was already a process that was well on its way. Uh, before he started getting involved or at the very least he learned from it one way or the other whether or not it was his fault he absolutely learned some things from the way that was done and and so it'll be interesting I, i'm actually i haven't had a chance to talk to him yet but i am actually curious to hear some of uh, his feedback he, he doesn't i don't think he works for the sounders anymore he works for a, a independent yeah, i think he owns his own uh, firm and they're sort of like advising the sounders but it, it's an interesting process i'm fascinated by graphic design it is my passion <laughs> it's not my favorite. that's a that's a that's that's a graphic design joke uh for, for you listeners but um i i was i was i i just i really appreciated that whole that whole bit i had a chance to talk to taylor uh a bit off the record and i'm i came I'm, I'm i hope people are excited about this because uh it's going to be all over the new training facility and that's maybe another good transition is the annual business meeting was in person for the first time, I think since 2018. Cause I think yeah. the year before the pandemic, they had already transitioned to an online, uh, mainly online uh, event. And then they did two in a row that were totally zoomed. And man, I was watching some of the tape of last year's, which was like the better one. And that was a bit of a mess. Um, but this year was in person. There was a, a pretty good crowd there. You and I were both there. Uh, and we got to see the facility. There's still not much there to like take in, but did you have any did you have any thoughts on on the facility? I, I guess the one big thing is they're adding a fifth field, which originally was they're only gonna do four fields, but now they officially are gonna do five fields. I I had not been to Long Acres yet, so that was okay. my trip. Um I 
now regret not showing up earlier because I know by the time both of us got there, it was dark. It would have been nice to see some of it in the light. Um, but the the space is incredible. That atrium is even better than pictures made it seem. Um, the atrium is really special, yeah. I think the the potential of the whole facility for yeah, like obviously for the team's purposes, I know. Uh, Garth talked a bit about some of the potentials for expanding what they're able to do at their facility with regards to, you know, having a truly state-of-the-art gym, weight room training facility with, you know, a cryo chamber and an elevation room or whatever is all really cool. But that the added space also will give them the opportunity to like expand their sports psychology department and all of these things, but um, being able to make it a like truly great place for the players to train, the team staff to work, for fans to come to when you're able to go to open trainings, the like the vision for it and the potential is so cool um it's hard to really capture some of that stuff in renderings but it is such a big space and the more that they talked about you know limitations with what they currently have at starfire and the ability with this giant space to fully make it their own is really exciting in terms of them really you know continuing to expand what the Seattle's are Seattle Sounders are and what they can offer the people involved with the club. Yeah. And they have taught, you know, Adrian Hanauer has talked often for, you know, the better part of a decade, he's talked about how great it would have to have like a sounder, like a, a Sounders palace for lack of a better term, uh, a real focal point where when you introduce uh, whether it be fans or prospective players or whatever to the Sounders that you can bring them someplace and say, or like, I guess Sounders Cathedral is sort of like the idea. And a lot of stadium, a lot of teams use their stadium that way. That may never be like the Sounders could end up being at Moomin Field for another 20 or 30 years. And they might always be sort of the secondary tenant to the Seahawks. And it may never be, you know, a Sounders first uh, venue. And, and that's, that's okay. Especially, I think that becomes less important though, when you can have something like long acres where you can bring people and say like, Hey, this is what it means to be the Sounders. We're, we're a big deal. I mean, I love that, you know, it's like that they have a trophy case there right now. It's not a permanent trophy case. They basically bring the trophies in whenever there's an event there and they want to show off. And I, I did think it was a nice little flex that they're able to kind of pick and choose which trophies do we want to show off today? Like the, the trophies that were there this time, were different than the trophies that they had there uh, when I went, when they were first unveiling it uh, back in, in March. And well, they had a new one. So they did have a new one. That's true. You have, you have to make room for the big boy. They did. And it, it, it was just very, it was very striking, but I thought it was like worth noting that they decided to use their four Western conference trophies instead of the four open cup trophies. They had two of the open cup trophies, but you know, they had, and they didn't and they didn't have to the last time they had they had trophies from like their previous eras and they I think they even had some of their uh youth national or youth trophies 
Uh, but this time it was just, you know, it was, how many was it? It was uh, nine trophies. And, you know, I, don't, I love it. I think it's just like such a striking, a striking thing. You know, the, the, it's like what a 40 foot ceiling. When you walk into that, uh, into that atrium, they had it all nicely lit up with their uh, green LEDs. And I, I think, think the space is going to be really, I think people are going to love it. Uh, I really do. And, uh, and it's not going to be quite as accessible as, as uh, I want Starfire is now, but it's, it's going to be, but when you go, it's going to be so much more impressive, I think. And that's just like, uh, and they, but they haven't. So my understanding is that like, they're apparently already growing the grass, which I didn't know, but they're growing the grass off site. Uh, so I guess the idea is that once the ground is sort of leveled and all the drainage is put in or whatever, they can just basically put the grass in on top. Uh, so that's already in the process of, of going, but they haven't actually cleared any land yet. And I guess the other thing, I guess this makes sense. They have to almost gut the entire uh, in, interior of the of the building in order to turn it into what they're going to turn it into. And, and I guess that's going to start pretty soon too. Uh, but the, the goal is to have this open by preseason in 2024. So we're about about a year away from, which is, I guess, not yeah. that far when you think about like it. 14 months, probably. Yeah. Yeah, probably that's probably about right. Fourteen months before it's it's like really open to to fans, um, or to even players. But yeah, I thought that was that was all pretty cool. And my suspicion is that the branding is going to have to come out before they like paint all that stuff on, because that's the new branding is going to be all over this new facility. And I'm I'm imagining there's either going to be leaks of being like, oh, I just saw this driving by. Here's the new crest. Or else they're going to have to put out the, they're going to have to release that stuff before they, uh, before they start actually applying it to the new facility. Yeah, I mean, I, I would expect to have like, uh, what, I mean, probably a different timeline, but maybe not too dissimilar from Montreal rolling out mm. their new brand design of the redesign was like they rolled it out during the summer, I think. And yeah, officially right. when we entered the off season, they officially right. revealed recently i think that would make some sense for a sounders timeline on the rebranding stuff um rebranding is obviously an overstatement but um the new mark yeah i think that would make sense yeah uh and so the thing that you so the, one of the things i thought was really interesting i actually really like this year's annual business meeting it, it oftentimes feels a little mechanical and i thought one of the things they did interesting this year was they did all these breakout rooms and you could basically once they did the bigs they had some parts that were for everyone and then they did these breakout rooms uh we've gone over two of those breakout rooms already which were uh long acres and the march to the 50th you went to the one about youth development what what did you take away from henry browner's uh presentation i i think one of the the main focus of it really was one henry browner is just a wildly experienced person in the field of player development and 
talent identification. Um, he, I think the first foray with the Sounders was doing talent ID for the Academy. Uh, mm -hmm. Now he's the VP of player development, but he, he really focused on like the, the human aspects of player development and player recruitment. He touched on a lot of much more granular things, um, but laying out sort of the, the personality traits and characteristics that they look in players, they really, he used Danny Leva as an example on a number of occasions, but that, you know, when they first scouted Danny, he was a 13 year old playing for a club team in Las Vegas. And at 13 was like also coaching a U5 and U6 team or something like that. And then <laughs> also like they came to training to like they had some sort of partnership or affiliation with the club and we're going to run training sessions with them. And so Danny was there for the training session with his age group team. And then he went and he coached a team and then training ended and he was helping to load up the fundraising tent into a truck or something. And just the like selflessness and dedication to the people around him and to contributing in any way that he could was really a hallmark of, um, some of the characteristics, resiliency was another big one that they pointed out, which is, you know, he talked about the importance of that from like a, the perspective of bringing kids from outside of the area to the club where, you know, you're moving as a teenager away from your family and living with a homestay family and the resiliency that that takes, but also the resiliency to be able to be put in high pressure situations and learn and adapt and move up through the ranks and um, also use Danny as an example of like how they take care of like the educational needs of these academy players who at 16 might be training with the first team and you know they have someone whose whole job is developing curriculum plans and self-study for these teenagers so they're getting all of their education requirements while training while other kids would be in school and with Danny as the example Danny had his associate's degree when he graduated from high school and then in the last year graduated with a bachelor's from uh, Southern New Hampshire University I think it is that the league has a mm -hmm. affiliation with but that you know Danny has blossomed into a legitimate professional at 20 years old who had a pretty substantial impact on the team and was also developing himself as a person outside of that. Um, it, was, it was pretty interesting. There wasn't like a ton of detail. He was kind of going over the broad strokes of how they approach these things. Um, but it was definitely interesting kind of recontextualizing some of the like the approaches they take to putting the younger kids into first team training or getting them into youth national team programs or playing in big international tournaments like you know they do the 
I don't know if they still do, but the Udon trophy tournament that the U15s play in, I think, um, going to and winning the GA Cup, those kinds of things, putting kids in these high pressure situations. So they, you know, implement the game model that the team has developed that is used throughout the organization so that you know, they get used to making the same kinds of decisions in all kinds of different circumstances so that those decisions are more automatic. So when they go and they're playing with the first team and they're put in those situations, they don't have to think so much. They can just do things on instinct. Um, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I, I think I was, I really like Henry. I think he's, he's, you know, someone we don't hear from a lot uh, from the first team, but he is someone that uh, Brian Spencer seems to really trust and has brought into training quite a bit. Um, you know, he's, he's definitely one of the the people who, you know, I, I think one of the recurring themes from this was we got to peek a little bit inside the process of the, just how the Sounders operate. And it was a good, like on every, on every one of these steps, I thought it was really you know, in each one of these things, how thoughtful it is and how, uh, how interesting, like that it's not like, they're not just sort of like turning it over to a smart guy and they're not just trying shit. Like they are, they're, they're trying to be thoughtful and pragmatic and it, it lends itself to a lot of, um, good outcomes. Uh, I went to the, this the uh, breakout that was about the world cup and sort of the social impact work that the centers are doing i won't necessarily get into all of that uh it was interesting i like broad strokes they're they're making a lot of progress on this uh 26 community fields for in uh 2026 they're going to i think they're halfway there they're something like 75 percent of the way through uh the fan funded field uh they actually said uh, Peter and Adrian pledged to match something like $3, I want to say, per beer that was sold. Like, I guess they're they're doing some events at uh, Flastic Pub uh, at for the U.S. Games. And I think they said they would donate $3 per beer that got sold or something like that. Uh, or no, they each said they would match a dollar and there was already a dollar. I think already a dollar per beer was going to be donated to this thing. So chances are they're going to they're going to get to this they're going to meet the the uh their mark for the for the fan funded field that they're doing uh and they're you know they're doing i thought it was interesting that they they are doing all this stuff where they're going over to like yakima and and the east side and going to schools and trying to sort of like yes spread the the footprint of the sounders throughout the state but also and i like and you can be very cynical about that but they're going to like underserved areas and trying to like get these kids involved, uh, bringing them soccer balls and really just kind of associating the Sounders with like, I, sure, like, do they benefit from it? They do, but I don't know that it's going to, they're not going to get a dollar for dollar out of this. This is, this is, I, I do think there's some genuine good that's being, being done there in terms of like opening up opportunities. They funded a all women's team uh of of BIPOC women I believe it it was so they're doing all kinds of like little things like that in the community that I think are that are great but from a world cup perspective there wasn't a lot of updates I didn't think it was interesting that they said they are doing their best to advocate for sounder season ticket holders 
to be able to get a right of first refusal for their tickets to 2026 World Cup. I'm pretty skeptical that they'll be successful, but I appreciate the effort. They also said they're going to try to keep tickets affordable. They felt like it was really important that that normal people be able to go to these games. Maybe I suspect they might be a little more successful on that front, at least on some level. Like I'm sure there's going to be a lot of market value tickets, but if they can get a certain amount uh, made available at, at discounted prices, especially to, you know, underprivileged youth or whatever, that would be great. Uh, I'm, my expectation is that it's going to be very expensive to go to the world cup in Seattle. Uh, hopefully not as expensive as it's, as we're hearing about it being in, in Qatar right now. I think I saw somewhere that if you were going to one U S national team game, uh, you'd be all in for something like $12,000, <laughs> Once you've like paid for your flight and your hotel room and your food and uh, your ticket and everything, like the tickets aren't super expensive, but like just being in Qatar uh, is a, is a very expensive endeavor not to speak of whatever else is you'd have to put up while you're there. Um, but yeah, it was, the, I guess some of the other things they, they talked about at the, at the, um, at that breakout was uh, they reminded us that there's going to be this big fan fest at Pier 62. Uh, that's going to be going on throughout the tournament. They have this idea. I don't know how successful this will be, but they have this idea that there'll essentially be like this march to the match that will organically happen from Pier 62 to the stadium. Uh, and I suppose it's it's vaguely possible that something like that can happen. I mean, it, the waterfront will be completely different uh, by 2026. I actually happen to be down at the waterfront yesterday for an event uh, for uh, my wife's work at the aquarium. And you can already see a lot of the construction that's going on. You know, they have this, you can see this overwalk that's going to be coming in. I'm really still a little uh, bummed out that there is so much street space that is being dedicated. Like there's going to be like eight lanes of cars in some parts of this, which are kind of striking to see. They're not all open right now, but it's a little scary to think about. Uh, but the waterfront will be very different. It will be much more attractive and the world cup is an opportunity to like do a lot of this stuff. And so maybe, you know, maybe they won't open all this up to traffic. Maybe they'll find out that it's great. It's, it's better used as pedestrian space or public space of some sort. That'd be neat. It would be neat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then I guess some of the other things they talk about at the Anubis meeting, they're going to have a New Jersey uh, this year, the community kit, uh, which will replace the Jimi Hendrix kit. They had big promises on that one. I I think, you know, the idea of a New Jersey was not like new information. We know that right. the team and the league are on a cadence of you get a New Jersey every year. We got a new primary jersey in 2022, so we'll get a new away jersey in 2023. The idea that it's a community kit, which I think was the language used for the Hendrix kit initially, um, I do think that might be new-ish, that like that secondary is going to be somehow yeah. a community tie-in. Um, did sound like... Folks are pre- folks who have seen the design are pretty high on this one. Particularly, I mean, outrageously, really outrageously high on it. I was, I was kind of blown away at how effusive they were, considering the, the Jimi Hendrix kit supposedly set all sorts of records 
uh, in terms of sales for for the Sounders or and for MLS. And they're saying and they were saying how how they expected to this new one to sell even better. Which cool. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Uh I'll reserve some judgment, but they certainly ra- they they certainly are being shy about like raising expectations on it. Um there was something else. Oh, the other thing that they basically confirmed was there's gonna be a new shirt sponsor. Uh they definitely were talking about Zulily, not like a brand that was gonna be featured prominently on the like they said they're hopeful they will be working with them next year which these this is already baked like there's no hopeful if there was Zulily they would have just said Zulily's back um but we don't really have any insight into what might be replacing them yeah reading back through the Hanauer quotes it seems a lot less secure that like Zulily will continue to be involved but I I felt like the vibe of what he was saying was, you know, there may or may not be a new sponsor, but... Right. That's not how you talk about a current sponsor. Right. But that, like, the impression I got was Zulily's going to stay around in some capacity. They're going to continue to be a partner and a sponsor in some manner. Maybe that's, you know, they're going to sponsor something at Long Acres down the road, or they'll become a you know, sleeve sponsor or right. something who knows the official like overstock merchandise flash sale site of right. the Seattle Sounders. <laughs> the but, official flash sale site of the Seattle Sounders. Um, yeah, it does sound like a new and hopefully exciting front of shirt sponsor is coming. Um, who knows what that is as long as it's not like some crypto exchange or betting company i'll be fine like i don't I, yeah as long as the, the check's clear and it's not something that is going to make re- me morally repugnant where right like i i'm not going to worry too much about what the sponsor is did you happen to see who saint is sponsoring st louis's shirt I did, and it did not lock into my brain. Purina, dog chow. Ooh, woof, woof. Yeah, woof, woof, which I thought, at first when I, I don't know, it will be interesting. It, it's like, it's it's Purina, like it's it's dog food. Uh, we'll see. I don't know. I, I, I thought that your kit looked okay. We'll see. Like, I, and I don't know, like, the union had, had still... I think they still do. They still have Bimbo as their I think so. sponsor. Yeah, I think they do. Uh, so you know, like there's all kinds of shirt sponsors out there that you can like not that aren't great. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what what it is. Uh, my I I know people get really like excited about talking about who they would like to see as their shirt sponsor, like. Unfortunately, that's not how it works. Xbox was like almost uniquely positioned in a way that it's like, man, that's an awesome shirt sponsor. I love having that on my shirt. And like, I don't even know if there's who's who is there even one other sponsor in the league, like one current sponsor that you would say that about? I don't think so. Maybe if you're like a huge 
like home improvement person, you think it rocks that LAFC has flex as their jersey? Oh, yeah, fle- yeah. I guess I can see that. I can see that. But otherwise, like, I don't know. Are you really like unobtrusive? About- is about the best you can hope for. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll I'll take that back. Alaska Airlines is a like as far as these things go. Uh, although they may have Timbers may have lost that one, um, and who knows? Maybe they're they're switching over to the Sounders. Uh, and I don't, but I don't. I guess what I'm saying is like spending energy at thinking of like who you'd like the sponsor to be is surely wasted energy because that's like just not part of the process. It's not like the Sounders go, who do we want to get as our shirt sponsor? It's more like who can we get to pay the most money. Right. And that's really the consideration. And hard to really blame them for that. That's how they ended up with Zoo Lily. Like they didn't think like, you know, it'd be awesome getting Zoo Lily to be our sponsor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I am sure that there is a degree of like, is this going to be a thing that makes people stop being fans of the Sounders? But other than that, right. like, as long as they're going to put the money up, it's not like and for all the companies, yeah, and and for all the complaining, and there was a lot of vocal complaints about Zulily. I don't know that I would be curious to see if they could really identify any anything that they could say like this was clearly a bad like clearly they this hurt her brand. I would have a hard time buying that, especially in light of the Hendrix kit selling so well. Like yeah. clearly that was not a thing people were worried about to buy the. The Hendrix kit. Uh, if the Sounders kits haven't sold well otherwise since then, I suspect it has much more to do with the designs of the shirts or people's interest in buying a new shirt every year, frankly. Yeah. Um, and we're now in year 14, 14, 15, going into year 15. Uh, and so maybe people are just like had enough shirts. Uh, but I don't know. Was there anything else? I'm trying to think. Was there anything else that they really hit on at the at the business meeting um i i think you know the things that might be of interest there was talk of the the kraken and storm both if you buy basically if you buy tickets to an event at climate pledge arena yeah you get public transit fare included with like your ticket gets you a free ride to the game mm-hmm. basically um they mentioned that the one of the benefits with the new Apple broadcasting deal and consolidating the schedule a bit was that kind of strengthened their negotiating position with trying to implement something like that for Sounders games, um, getting either free or maybe subsidized public transit rides to games for people. Um, At the very least, it would be nice if they could arrange if there could be an arrangement where the sounder the train would run on weekends in a way or any frankly weekdays or weekends would run in a way that allows people to use it because it does the schedule does not really suit itself it almost only is useful if there's afternoon games and it would be nice if if that could be like i don't and i don't know how doable that is but that would be that would be a huge huge benefit i think if they can do something with that and if they were telling if they're able to say like, look, we have Saturday, we have seven thirty games, uh, you know, we have twelve of those over the course of the year. Can we just lock those in as 
as you having regular service during that time. And maybe this is what helps it because uh, it's a reliable schedule. Uh, on the Apple, there was, I guess that's something else we should talk about that wasn't really discussed too extensively. They did touch on it at the annual business, business meeting, but uh, that is the other big piece of news that came out this last week was uh, they unveiled the pricing for, what are they calling it? MLS, MLS season pass. pass. Okay. Uh, and it's going to be $79 a year or $12.99 if you already have Apple TV+. Plus. It'll be $99 a year or $14.99 a month if you don't have uh, Apple TV+. Plus. I will add a caveat that was not in the release, but my suspicion is that like almost every digital product that is out there, there's no such thing as like a set price. Like there's going to, there invariably there will be discounts that are going to be out there. They're going to be offering all sorts of, like they just want to get your credit card information and they want you signed up for year one. And then they'll figure things out as they go. Uh, so I, if I were you, the listener, I probably wouldn't rush out and buy it. There's no benefit as far as I can tell to rushing out and like committing to buying it now. And I suspect there's going to be some, uh, some other discounts that are out there. All that said, what, what did you make? The response has been vocally very critical of this. Uh, I think that's probably because most people who are going to respond are going to be critical, but what's, what was your response to the, to the pricing structure? I I think it feels like a pretty good price personally, just based on, you know, the cost of comparable services from mm-hmm. other leagues, which admittedly, you know, if you're looking at anything other than football, there's a lot more games in a season for, you know, if you get NBA pass or the... MLB TV subscriptions, whatever. Um, I'm going to watch more than Sounders games. So I realize that like my perspective is different than someone who like is only oh, interested in watching Sounders road games. But realistically, that person, pretty good chance they have season tickets. So right. they're not going to have to pay for it anyway. Um, I think that, you know, one of the frustrations with watching Sounders games and the league in general is that the quality of the broadcasts vary so much from one broadcaster to the other. That's not going to be the case anymore. Um, the we don't know, but I imagine Apple TV for their own stuff. The quality of the production is pretty good. Apple as a whole does not want to put out a product that looks like crap because their brand is design by and large. Like they're going to put something out that looks good. They're including a bunch of additional coverage beyond just you can watch the games here. Um, The fact that they've already committed to broadcasting a bunch of MLS Next Pro and MLS Next games is really appealing. Um, Having a an already planned live whip around show is going to be really cool if you want to just like, I don't know. I, when I used to play fantasy football, one of the best things about watching football was that I got NFL red zone and watching just the good parts of a game is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I, 
as someone who doesn't really watch the NFL, I will absolutely sit in my office and just have red zone on. And, and I actually do the same thing. I've started doing the same thing with the CBS Golasso show, which is um, probably a better analog for what is going to be happening here. And it's remarkable. Like you, you, you think like, Oh, well, there's not that many goals and they do a really good job of just like leaving. If it's just an interesting game, they'll just leave the interesting game on. And then when something exciting happens elsewhere, they're, they're switch. I think the, the whip around show is potentially going to be really cool. Uh, it, you know, like for the sounder, you know, for the sounders, they'll probably be like four games on at a time for the most part. And they'll be showing. And I, I think that's, that's the biggest reason I think that they want to have the, the consistent start times. And so they can do this whip around show and have actual content to, to share. And I understand people's frustrations with, seven they're all being 730 games essentially i don't think they're all going to end up being like they're going to have to move some of these games around but i do think it makes sense from a like mls has struggled with this for a long time and 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 there's always been pushback from individual teams saying like look our fans want to do it at these times this is where i i think for the growth of the league this probably makes sense um i'm with you i think the pricing makes total sense especially from a this is the full price kind of perspective like i said there's probably going to be discounts but like if i'm as a consumer thinking about buying i don't have any problem paying 70 like i have apple tv plus i have no problem paying 79 dollars. i don't think i would have any problem paying 99 dollars. i will watch the shit out of this and i don't mean that just as a person who's consuming the sounders like i watch a lot of yes a lot a lot of games on espn plus it, yes espn plus was a screaming deal uh prime was a screaming deal for when the standards were on prime that was a great deal there's no like there's no way around it uh was it sustainable that you could essentially get this stuff as a you know almost make it so it feels free maybe not but I, i will say this that if you are a fan of the league if you're a fan of the sounders and you're telling the league and you're telling the sounders I will not pay $80 a year to watch 34 games or more like 38 games. You're effectively telling the league you're not worth $2 a game. Where's the growth? What do you, where do you think this league is going? And, and sure, maybe, and, and I mean, you're, and I don't want to begrudge anyone. If they don't want to pay this money, don't pay the money. Like, like I'm not telling you, you have to go pay, but like understanding it from like, if the league is making a bet, on will people pay for this service man i hope so because if they're not willing to pay for the service it really says that mls is not a pro- i mean like if you're not willing to pay two bucks a game i don't know what are you willing to pay for you know like yes yes they, the league wants to monetize you like i don't i i hate to break it to you but that's that is part of the deal yeah i i think you know it's also a a point was made regarding um radio broadcasts that like up until this point teams have been as taylor graham put it in a uh a pause position or pause posture Mm -hmm. regarding like the other broadcasting avenues once the apple tv deal got locked in they can start figuring out their radio broadcasts it does sound like there are still going to be some linear TV 
options. I, like we don't know what that looks like, but it's possible that signing up for MLS season pass is not going to be the only way to watch games period. There no. are going to be, yeah. if you already have Apple TV plus there's going to be games that you can watch there. There's going to be games that you can watch if you just have Apple TV, which is an app that you can just download. You can have it right. on all you need device. is an Apple ID to log in with, as far as I know. Yeah. And just like, I, I think having this, you know, MLS from a like viewership standing, no matter where they go, they don't really do numbers. So like, as more people have Apple TV, the ability to like, if you turn your TV on and you're sort of like scrolling through the Apple TV hub and you see, oh, there's a soccer game on, I'll check that out. Like, I do think there is some good exposure opportunities there. Um, I, you know, if you are a person who cares about what the broadcasts look like and what the coverage looks like, you're probably going to get a at the very least, more consistent product, if not a higher quality one. Um, the ability to consistently, like, always have access to replays, to access to highlights packages, all in one place. You don't have to figure out, like, is the game on Fox? Can I watch it on Prime this week? Do I have to, you know, log in through my brother's Xfinity? account to stream the fs1 broadcast of the game like you know where all the games are going to be you know how to watch them you're going to have a pretty good idea of what time they are okay i think on the whole it's going to be good and you know uh peter tomazawa mentioned that for the free season pass for season ticket holders that's something that the teams are eating the cost of he mentioned the hope and it seemed like hope leaning towards expectation that they're going to have the ability to sell subscriptions for MLS season pass to other Sounders fans, whether that's season ticket holders who want to buy an additional subscription or other Sounders fans. To me, just connecting dots, it seemed like that's a possibility for them to, you know, eat a smaller portion of the cost of those subscriptions. And, you know, that's an avenue for people to get discounted subscriptions. Yeah, your point that this is the, the full price version, there are inevitably going to be discounts. You don't discount a product when you first launch it. You right. do it at full price and you see who's going to pay full price. And if you need to permanently lower the price because you misjudged, you do that down the road. You don't come in at a low price and then jack the price up later, knowing that you're going to have to do it because that makes people angry. Right. Uh, and along the same lines, Apple TV, plus, the way Apple TV plus works right now is you can share it, I think, to with up to six people. They don't all have to be on the same Apple ID. Presuming, like, we don't know this is how it's going to work. There's a lot of unknowns. And I think that's something else to keep in mind is that it's, it's hard to get excited about a product that we've never seen. So it's, like, I don't blame anyone for being skeptical. I don't blame anyone for feeling like they're having to pay. Like, there's a lot of streaming services out there. You're being asked to buy a lot of a la carte kind of things. I understand the frustration. Uh, I understand that this is going to create accessibility issues. 
it's it's going to be harder to get your elderly grandparents to watch the game i like that's a legitimate thing you know like i'm not going to discount that it's, it might be harder to get it on at the bar like there's all sorts of like trade-offs that are inherent in this i guess what i'm saying is i'm i think there's going to be some positives that are sometimes getting glossed over i think it'll be very interesting to see what the product looks like when it comes out i think it's going to absolutely it 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 it, it raises the bar for what the expectation of what this product should be like that the price is not it's not a like come one come all type price it's a no we're selling a real product here price and that's what the expectation should be is that it should be a real viable product uh but i i do think that there are i think there's potentially a lot of good about this i'm you know if, if they if they fulfill everything they said they were going to do especially if it's out of the box like i don't expect it to be out of the box that good but I, I think people will be pretty happy with this. Uh, and yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I'm, I'm withholding too much judgment, but I, I definitely see there's upside here. Uh, and other than that, there's not been a lot player wise. I don't, we, we can maybe do a whole nother podcast about player movement, but it's, there's a lot of behind, you know, a lot of off-field stuff going on right now. I don't know that, that, but I think we covered most of the big, the big talking points from the annual business meeting. Yeah. I think the only other possible, like worth mentioning thing is with the retain vote, Garth has not signed a new contract yet. I know that's something that a lot of people have asked about. We talked with Garth about that after the event my impression is that both sides want to get a deal done, but both sides want to get the best deal that they can get for good reason. Like well, neither I... side is going to just like submit because from the club perspective, they feel pretty good. I imagine about the internal options they have. If Garth decides that like he can get a better offer somewhere else and also Garth feels like he can get a pretty good offer from the Sounders because he's done a really good job and he can continue to do a really good job. Yeah, and I don't I don't even know if it's about money right now. Like I I suspect they've been having discussions about the money part of it for a while. I I think there's two things going on here. And I don't I I like and I will say Garth the way Garth was talking about this at the annual business meeting he sort of was like making it sound like it was just a matter of like dotting some eyes and cross, almost like not quite that that close but he he was definitely alluding to this being like you said like something they all want to get done and i do think there's i do think they kind of are i think that's kind of true but i also think it's true that garth does want to know what else is out there and if someone's going to come to him with essentially like a ceo type of position where he's overseeing the soccer operation he has say he has like final say on everything to do with the club and he also has something to do with like the business side i think he's gonna listen now there's not a lot of teams that in mls that offer that period and certainly fewer of them that offer them at the scale of what the sounders are are operating at like he's not gonna go to cincinnati he's not gonna go to dc he, like, he's just not like, those aren't places that offer him what he's looking for. Uh, but if Atlanta uh, is able to offer him something like what Darren Eels was doing, I think they would at least get his ear. Uh, and I think it's important to note that one of the, the big thing, the biggest committee that MLS owners 
or that MLS front office types have is the product and strategy. I think it's called product and strategy, which essentially is the overarching, like they decide like um, what the, the, I think they, they decide almost all the big picture stuff with the organization. And Darren Neal sat on that, on that board uh, at the league level, Adrian Hanauer uh, sits on that, I think as well. Uh, I don't know that Adrian is going to turn over his position to Garth in that way, but I do think Garth sees some potential, like there might be things within the center's organization that he's not able to do now that I think he would like to try to be able to do. Uh, So I don't know. Well, like, like you said, they did sort of allude to the possibility that this was closer to being done than I'm saying here, but I don't know. I, I kind of feel like this is going to not get settled at least until the end of the, the calendar year. Uh, so like, you know, January ish, but he also was talking a lot about like his future with the Sounders and being excited about the roster that they've built. So you know, I, I think he's sort of like, hedge, he's very much hedging his bets. He does not sound like someone who has a foot out the door. I'll put it that way. Yeah, he, I mean, he sounded like he's excited about what they've done and excited about what they're doing. He sounded really excited about the Long Acres project. I, yeah, I think it's just a situation where two sides negotiating hard because they should negotiate hard. Like that's, if you put Adrian Hanauer and Garth Lagerway in a room to like pick lunch, I imagine they're gonna <laughs> argue that hard because especially lunch. That's like that's what both of them do. That's their job. Um, I, it would be weird if they did not have the same energy for like advocating for themselves uh, and the organization that they represent. Um, yeah, I I would be hopeful for Garth to stay. And yeah, to your point, I would sort of expect more information maybe before preseason starts, but not a lot sooner than that. Especially if you consider like, they're probably not going to negotiate over, you know, the week of Thanksgiving or the week leading up to or after Christmas it's like three weeks outside of that before preseason starts it's not a ton of time yeah I I and I guess this contract probably runs through the end of the the calendar year so there might not be a lot of motivation to get it done too far before then yeah but you're right at some point it does become a like an imperative that they like either he's back or he's not. Uh, and that's not so far away. Uh, that said, I think that's probably a good place. You know, we've, we've been doing, this was a long one today. We had a lot to, lot to talk about, but yeah. um, Tim, thank you as always. Uh, we got a world cup coming up on Sunday, starting on Sunday. Can't believe that. Uh, I don't know how much we'll talk about on the podcast, but um, there are four sounders involved. It's a, a record for the sounders. I, they've been saying there's, a record number of MLS players involved in this tournament overall. I think the Sounders ended up with the third most uh, players of any team in the league. Uh, for not not bad for a, a team that missed the playoffs. <laughs> I mean, it not bad for a team that missed the playoffs, and one of the teams ahead of them is Montreal. Yeah, Montreal. Like, I think LAFC is the other for Canada or something like that. 
Yeah, LAFC is really the only other one that has a more comparable sort of because uh, they sent I think at five players maybe from three different teams. They but, have three players for Ecuador, I think. So, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, so be be uh, plenty of stuff to talk about, I'm sure, in these coming days. But Tim, thank you for for hanging out with me and helping unpack the the annual business meeting. Always a pleasure. All right. I am Jeremiah Shan signing off for the Sounder at Heart podcast, and we will catch you next time.